The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. This can be found on page 833 of your pew Bible, and, or you may read along on the screen. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look at your father. We've been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. <laughs> then he went down to them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. I was about five years old when I decided to follow Jesus for the first time, and that's me rocking the Bugle Boy sweater in 1991. And I was just about five years old when I feared that I'd lost Jesus for the first time. You see, as a five-year-old, I cared a whole lot about the rules, but I didn't, this boy in this picture and me as a child, I didn't care about the rules in sort of a traditional sense of caring about the rules like you want to play the game the right way. I cared about the rules more in the way that dinosaurs care about testing the fences in Jurassic Park. It was about finding flaws in the system. That was the main goal of uh, knowing about the rules. I wanted to know about those so that I could figure out a way to exploit the system. So as a child, when I discovered that my mom meant it when she said that I couldn't have any more popsicles, I took that seriously for a while. <laughs> I took seriously that for a while because I knew that if I broke the rules, there'd be consequences. I'd get grounded, or in worst cases, I would get a spanking. But clever fence-testing velociraptor child that I was, eventually I found a flaw in the system, and so I hatched a plan to beat it. So then one day when my mom uh, was in the kitchen and I was having withdrawal shakes from not having a popsicle, I went to her and I asked, can I have another popsicle, mom? I asked her. And I, predictably, she said no, because I had probably had several already that day. But I had a plan. And so uh, when uh, I set that plan in motion, and I went out of the room, and when she was out of the kitchen, I went to the kitchen, I took the box of, box of popsicles, I went probably into a corner of the house, and I hoarded them, and I ate all the popsicles that I wanted to eat. My mom eventually found me, and surrounded by this empty box of popsicles and a bunch of popsicle sticks, I knew what the consequences were going to be to that. So I knew that would result in a spanking, and so I didn't fight it. I didn't make any excuses. I knew what I did was wrong, and I went straight into her room to suffer the consequences. But that day, the spanking didn't hurt. Because in the time between her saying no and me going to take the popsicles, I had gone into my room and put on three pairs of underwear, two pairs of jean shorts, and one pair of sweatpants. <laughs> so basically, I was a really easy child to parent and a lot of fun. 
It was that same five-year-old child that accepted Jesus Christ. And it was that same five-year-old child testing the rules and figuring out that feared that he had lost him within the span of a few days. Because the way that I had come to understand Jesus and the way that it worked was that Jesus was sort of like a Netflix subscription or a fire insurance policy that I had to re-up every few days or a month or a year to make sure that I was still in good standing. I thought that the rules had something to do with using the right words to pray a prayer so that I could be saved. Or that, and so what I would do is I would just kind of throw a bunch of different prayers to see what stuck against the wall. I didn't want to lose Jesus. I didn't want to lose the salvation of Jesus. So out of fear and anxiety, I prayed over and over and over again to make sure that I had, to re- that, I had that renewed over and over and over again. My subscription was renewed. The insurance policy was in good standing. Mary and Joseph, they lost Jesus. They lost Jesus the child. Luke chapter 2, we read, and it was read for us. It says, assuming that Jesus was among the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, and they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search. And after three days, they found him in the temple. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look. Your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is a great story. Uh, there's a translation of what Jesus says that uh, is rendered differently in different, way, uh, different translations. Jesus also says in a different translation, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? There's a lot in this story that interests me. On one level, this story is really interesting because it's the only recorded story of Jesus as a child. And we can make inferences about the way that Mary and Joseph fathered this chi- uh, parented this child when he was, when he was uh, young. From this, we can perhaps learn something about what it means for us to foster God's calling and gift in the children that we care for or that we have, or how to parent in view of God's will rather than our own. And on another level, there's this, uh, something within this story that tells us about who Jesus is and who he would grow, grow to be, how this story fits into a broader story of what God uh, was doing and what it means for, for us to follow Jesus, what it means for us to follow Jesus rather than Jesus to follow us wherever we're going. So on this first level, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus because Jesus left them, rascally child that he was, He slipped off while they were traveling. And on this level, we empathize with a fear and anxiety and frustration. Parents in this room, you've probably lost your children as a youth pastor. When children go missing on a retreat, there's all this tension around that. and And it's all about that search to find that child again, that person that's lost. We empathize with that. And we can learn from this story. It tells us how they sought to raise the child Jesus. They made sure that Jesus was brought up observing traditions that would shape his moral and his ethical worldview. They brought him up and made sure that he was taught in the ways of God. And we see here, this is really interesting in this story, we see that when when they found that he had wandered off, they searched for him with great fear and anxiety, but they didn't let that fear and anxiety drive their response to him. It says, Mary treasured these things in her heart. She treasured these things in her heart. She held on to them. Mary held on to these hints of who Jesus was becoming. It says she didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said that he was in his father's house. 
but she held on to that rather than maybe a more normal response, which would be, excuse me, child, but Joseph is also your father. She didn't say, never do this to us again. She held on to it. The response of one of discovering who this child was and what they were revealing about who they were to her in that moment. She treasured these things. In verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom. Now, this might seem obvious. To, uh, this, is, this is kind of obvious. But saying that Jesus increased in wisdom assumes that Jesus had wisdom to increase in. Right? If you, you, have to, you, you can't increase in wisdom if you uh, already have all of it. Jesus was growing. He was learning more. He was discovering this call. Mary and Joseph had a choice as the parents of Jesus to foster and affirm in the child that was in their care an eternal gift that was being brought into this world, or they had a choice to stifle that. What if Mary and Joseph didn't nurture the gifts that they saw in Jesus? You know, Mary and Joseph, they weren't like marionette puppets of God's will. God wasn't just directing what they were doing. They were getting hints along the way of who this child was and who he was growing to be. They heard, and we've heard about that throughout this series, where we've been hearing about the discoveries that Mary and the angels gave to them and the shepherds that they had and the wise men that came. She's getting these hints of these things, like when you're looking at a mystery and there's little clues along the way, they're getting clues. They're getting hints of who this child is. They had to wake up each day with the choice to respond faithfully to this call that God had put in their life, to nurture this child into the one who had become the firstborn of a new creation, the king of a different kind of kingdom, the light in the darkness. But it's interesting to me because they could have snuffed that light out, but thanks be to God, they didn't. They lived the words that the Apostle Paul would write to the Galatians when he said, do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Hold these things in your heart. Hold on to the bits of truth that you find and use this Christ child to weave those mysteries together. And as Mary, we must treasure these things that remind us of a larger narrative that we serve, the higher calling to which we've been called. And thankfully, we don't have to dwell too much on the idea of what would have happened if Mary and Joseph were bad parents to Jesus. Thankfully, they raised him to find his calling. But the story should give us pause because for those of us who care for children, which is all of us because we care for those around us, the children of our neighbors, the children of our friends, and our own children, this should give us a lesson of what it is to be affirming and fostering God's children into the call that God has placed into life, in their life, of nurturing them into being in, made in God's image, not in our image. Because we know that children that channel God's love must be affirmed and nurtured to live into the fullness of what God created them to become and do. Jesus would go on to say, you will do greater things than these. And so we cannot stop tending to the seeds and growing the growth of the children of God, but who by grace might increase in wisdom as well so that they can continue the work of the gospel to forgive, to reconcile, and to bring together a broken world. So kids tell us about who they are very early in life. And I noticed this, and you've noticed this probably with your own children, but kids tell you little hints of who they are early in life. I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and those nieces and nephews, it's amazing to me how early in life their personality starts to come out, right? All the parents in this room, or if you have little children in the pews, you probably are noticing the things that your kids smile at, the things that they care about, the ways that they reveal who they are so early in life. As a youth pastor, that's part of what I do and what uh, Courtney and I seek to do. 
We have to be students of the children that come to us. To be of any use at all, it's necessary us to be open to learn about the needs, the interests, the passions, and the gifts that God has placed in children already and foster those things to come and rise to the top. To be a nurturer and a grower of those children rather than responding with fear and anxiety when they go missing or when they wander off. So that this story and this piece of the story asks us the question, are we curious lovers of one another and one another's children? Do we, seek to, do we see our task as discovering more and more about God and how he's made and gifted people and encouraging them along that path? Mary and Joseph seem to have understood this role of nurturing Jesus and who he was becoming because after God's will, Rather than forcing their will upon him, and in our lives, we ought to do the same for each person and child of God. So on this first level of the story, there is much in the way of curious love for us to learn from Mary and Joseph. They teach us about how to treasure the gift of nurturing children along the path of growing in their gifts, wisdom, and call, even and perhaps especially when the anxiety and fear of unforeseen events want us to respond in that. We are to hold those things, treasure them, and care for those children. But that's only one level of the story. And this next level of the story and the, the sort of the broader narrative that this fits into interests me a whole lot as well. And on the second level, maybe more metaphorical level of the story, this tells us something significant about who Jesus was, is, and always will be. Because on this level of the story, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus because they expected him to follow them. But the child Jesus was giving a hint of who he was going to become. No, 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 no. You're not I'm not supposed to follow you anymore. He was discovering that they were supposed to follow him. So Jesus wasn't lost. Mary and Joseph were lost in this story. This tells us about who Jesus is. Early on in his life, Jesus made clear that if you weren't careful, you might lose him along the journey unless you stayed close. And on this level, Mary and Joseph... Uh, lost Jesus because they were too caught up in the rest of life to stay near. So this asks us the question, what to do when we stop along the road and we find that we've completely lost Jesus? I'll be honest with you, and I say, when I say that, I think losing Jesus is much more common among us than we like to admit. But not because we were never with Jesus to begin with, but because we've assumed too much about the journey. We've assumed too much about who Jesus is and what he thinks about, and at a certain point, we took the lead rather than being led into unexpected places and unexpected, uncomfortable places. And in so many ways, those of us in the church are most prone to lose Jesus, I think. Because we can walk with a false sense of confidence that we know where Jesus is going, and we've got all the answers, and we know, and we've assumed where Jesus is going. So rather than follow Jesus into areas of introspection or repentance and transformation and new life, we take our own shortcuts on the way down the mountain because we assume we know better and can do better. Or honestly, maybe we, we have an idea of where we or we have an idea of where Jesus might lead us, but it just turns over too many tables that we depend on, and so we choose to stick with a status quo that requires less sacrifice. And this is a bummer. Because it's a firm promise that the way of Jesus always leads us into more and a more abundant life, not less. That Jesus leads into more abundant life, even perhaps especially when the way involves sacrifice of something that we hold dear. Or maybe those of us 
Uh, we've never lost Jesus because we've never found Jesus worth searching for. Our walk along the road with family and friends, it goes on just fine without it. Without it. There's no need to trouble ourselves with a search for something as boring as a homeless Middle Eastern carpenter who couldn't even get a proper revolution going or a government structure set up to solidify his power and his influence. I can relate with this experience. Sometimes the language and praise at church is far too flowery for my own experience. The divide of life between my own logical reasoning of life and a spiritual dimension of life that says that I should listen to a spirit seems all too hokey and regressive to apply to my modern context. In other, way, in other words, the way of Jesus was a simpler answer for a simpler time and a simpler, for a simpler question. For many of us who lose Jesus, it can be a quite comfortable existence and it can be an easier path of religious devotion. Because if we're not near to Jesus, if Jesus is just far enough away for us to ignore, not very much is required. We can keep playing on our own lane, preserving privileges that we haven't earned, holding on to views that are antithetical to a way of life that demonstrates a love of God and neighbor, or isolating ourselves from expressions of folks that live, look, and act worship or worship differently than we do, or holding on to a hatred and a bitterness from those that we love the most that have wronged us, or it becomes very easy to justify violence or wars or conflict that perpetuate a cycle of violence. Or we fall deeper into addictions and ways of life that are destructive to ourselves and others. Or following leaders across our culture that demonstrate with increasing clarity a lack of moral courage or imagination. After all, if we were to actually let Jesus confront our most comfortable places of privilege and areas of comfort, it would require that we actually turn back and start to follow. Richard Rohr, in a great book, called The Naked Now writes, throughout much of our history, we were largely unable to find a pattern that connected all the mysteries, even though it had been fully given to us in Jesus. We worshiped Jesus instead of following him. We made Jesus into a mere religion instead of a journey toward union with God. This shift made us into a religion of belonging rather than a religion of transformation. One of the most subtle ways to avoid imitating someone is to put them on a pedestal above and apart from us. When you accept that Jesus was not merely divine, but human as well, you can begin to see how you are not separate from him. Open yourself to recognize the great paradoxes of Jesus, and then you can begin to hold those same opposites together within yourself. In other words, once we start to recognize that Jesus is the thing that connects these hints of truth that we see all around the world and within uh, the Bible, like Mary and Joseph saw these hints of who he was, Jesus is the one that knits it together, and it's only then when we let him lead us, rather than us expecting him to follow us, it's only then that we can get about the business of not merely worshiping Jesus on a pedestal, but following him. So this is sort of the central struggle at work within much of the fanfare associated with the coming of Jesus during the Advent and the Christmas season. In all the pomp and the circumstance and the celebrations and the songs, we can place Jesus on a pedestal close enough to be seen and claimed, but just far enough to be ignored when it's inconvenient and far enough that we can stay, still stay close to all the other gods that we're worshiping. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, but so too have we, and so too will we. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, but later they learned to follow Jesus, and so too must we, and so too will we. Because the good news 
is that when we notice along the journey that we've gotten distracted or we've gotten too caught up or too consumed with the ideas that are at odds with God's love, mercy, and grace, when anxiety and fear catch us like it caught Mary and we frantically search for days or even years in dark nights and trying times, when we notice along the way that we need to find the Jesus that we've lost, the response is not judgment or condescension. Jesus doesn't say, what took you so long? It's the words of peace. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Welcome, friend. When I was five years old, my idea of finding Jesus was all about magic words that I prayed, which would be more like a get-out-of-jail-free card that would prevent me from getting in trouble if and when it happened. So I prayed the prayer out of fear and anxiety. So eventually, I rightfully put that aside I put that fear and anxiety aside of losing a forgiveness and a salvation that's once and for all. But now I also do recognize that we do need to find Jesus again and again and again. Not because our salvation is on the line or that we constantly are teetering on the edge of damnation. No, we need to find Jesus again and again because sometimes he slips off while we're distracted. And he's gone on without us, and we have to adjust our following accordingly so that we might do the same. The good news is that we are never so far that we can't search. That every time that we put Jesus on a pedestal to placate him or inoculate his power, he steps down so that he can continue on with his father's business. That's why the manger at the end of Christmas is empty. That's why the boy Jesus wandered away from the traveling party and came and went back to the temple. That's why the cross is bare. That's why the tomb is empty. When our religious devotion boils down to worshiping an empty manger or a bare cross or an empty tomb, important symbols as those things are, we shouldn't be very surprised when we find that we've lost Jesus. Because Jesus grew out of the manger, returned to the temple, died on the cross, and left the tomb so that he could go on about his father's business so that we might also go on about that forgiving, resurrecting, restorative business as well. The good news is that even when we lose Jesus, we get to go on about finding him again and again and again. Don't expect to have Jesus follow you through life. We follow Jesus through life. The good news is even when we lose him, we can find him again and again and again. And that brings us to the table this morning. This is called the Sacrament of community, Communion. We call it food for the journey. One of the best reminders of Christ's continuing presence among us. But as we come this morning, I would ask the question, which is true for each of us in different ways. Where have you lost Jesus along the journey? Where has Jesus gone that you were too distracted or stubborn to follow? Has the fear and anxiety of the search for wholeness, meaning, and grace and peace in life consumed your waking moments of searching? Have you been so confident in your ideas of who and what Jesus was about that now you look around you and recognize that he must have slipped off along the way while you were too busy taking shortcuts? The good news is that Jesus is still going on about his father's business. Where else would he be and what else could he be doing? And by the grace of God, we each are invited back onto the journey towards God, God's plan of restoration for you your neighbor, and for all of creation. We take communion as a family here at Hinsdale Covenant, and as the children come back uh, in this morning, remember that this meal is not only for you, it's for your children as well. 
For just as Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus up in the places that solidified his gifts and the calling of God in his life, so too it is with each parent and person in this room. Each and every day, these wonderful children are revealing bits and pieces of how God has gifted them to journey along with God's plan in the world. And I hope that we as a family would take every opportunity that we have to hold them loosely enough so that they can grow and closely enough that we can follow them where they lead us. Because Jesus is still living, Jesus is still moving, and by God's grace, we're still missing him on the left and the right, that by God's grace, we might still go searching for him and find him together. Amen. This is the meal.